Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 49 of Revelation chapter 14. We're going to be reading Revelation 14, verses 19 and 20. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. And this uh, wraps up or concludes Revelation 14. When we get to verse 20, and it is the conclusion of God's detailed discussion of harvest at the end of the world, Judgment Day. And he concludes it by uh, describing the vine of the earth, whose grapes are fully ripe, cast into the great winepress of his wrath. And the winepress is mentioned three times, once in verse 19, and two times in verse 20. And it's a Greek word, um, this Greek word that is translated as winepress is Strong's number 3025, Linos, or Lenos, and it's only translated as Lenos in the New Testament. It's found five times in the Greek New Testament, again, three of the times in these two verses in Revelation 14, once in Revelation 19, and I'll turn over there and read verse 15, Revelation 19:15, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And, and that's very similar language to what we're reading here. In Revelation 14:19, the great winepress of the wrath of God. So that's four out of the five times. The fifth uh, usage of lenos, the word for winepress, is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. And in this parable that the Lord gave, we read in beginning in verse 33, here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it. And that's our word, uh, lenos. And built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And this is the parable uh, where servants were sent and... The husbandman uh, beat the servants, killed some, stoned others. And then last of all, he sent his son, thinking they would reverence the son. But instead, they seized him and killed him. And it says in uh, verse 39, And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord thereof of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? 
they say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. And this parable was given to teach of God's plan to, first of all, plant a vineyard that would produce fruit. And uh, it does say when the time of the fruit drew near, and and so um, there there was a time where it was fruitful, and then um, the purpose of the vineyard spiritually was to bring forth the Lord Jesus Christ. The vineyard points to Israel, and Israel experienced the early righteous reign of the Old Testament, and Christ was brought forth. And the fruit actually had to do with the death of Christ. That was the predetermined will of God that Christ must go to the cross to demonstrate the things he had done from the foundation of the world. And when he would do so, that was the fulfillment of uh, the first of the first fruits uh, being offered. And, and so the wine press in the vineyard relates in some ways to the judgment of God, uh, or at least God's purpose in bringing judgment upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's a um, uh, historical account in 1 Kings 21, we're, we're not going to get into it, but I just want to mention it, that really pictures what this parable is talking about, because there was a man named Naboth, the Jezreelite, who had a vineyard that was uh, next to the palace of King Ahab. And King Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. And Naboth would not give it to him or sell it to him. And, and so Ahab's wife Jezebel arranged for false witnesses to rise up at a feast and to um, testify falsely that uh, Naboth had uh, blasphemed God and the king. And then they took him out and stoned him. And then... Um, Ahab seized upon Naboth's vineyard. And what's interesting is that Naboth, the name Naboth in 1 Kings 21, his name means fruit. It is um, 5022, I think, in Strong's Concordance. And it comes from um, 5011 and 5108, fruit. So Naboth the owner of the vineyard had his vineyard seized, just as we read in in the parable that the husbandman killed the servants and then uh, said in uh, Matthew twenty one thirty eight, "This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance." And just as Naboth's name was fruit, that is, Naboth himself was um, spiritually the fruit of the vineyard so too was the Lord Jesus Christ the fruit that the early righteous reign produced of the Old Testament. When Israel turned the Lord over to the Roman authorities to be crucified, it was the fruitfulness of the vineyard of Israel. That was their purpose. It was why God planted that vineyard to bring forth the Messiah 
to bring forth the Lord, um, eternal God himself in the flesh who entered into the human race and dwelt among us, and, and yet he was a Jew. And so that's what the idea of Christ being born into the world, and that's what the idea of that parable that had a wine press in the vineyard and the husbandman seized upon the son, pointing to Israel seizing upon the Lord Jesus and, and so forth. Now, there's a second way we can show that Christ was the fruit and uh, is related to the wine press. And if we turn to Matthew chapter 26, it says in verse 36, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And verse 37, He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And we know that the Lord did it two more times, three times total. At Gethsemane, the word found in Matthew twenty-six thirty-six is only used twice in the Bible, or twice in the New Testament, and the other is in Mark 14, the parallel gospel account, beginning in verse 32. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And, and, and again, of course, it's the parallel account, but I wanted to read it just to show that this word Gethsemane is used twice. And notice that in verse 32 of Mark 14, they came to a place named Gethsemane, and almost immediately Jesus is sore amazed and very heavy. His soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death and 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 so forth. We We can see that he began to suffer under the wrath of God in Gethsemane. That was Thursday evening. And that fits what the Bible says about the Son of Man being three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Thursday night it began, Friday night, and Saturday night in the tomb. And then uh, Friday, uh, Saturday in the tomb, Friday, uh, the Lord is crucified. Saturday in the tomb. Early Sunday, the third day, he rises from the dead. Three days, three nights. And it began this um, period of suffering the wrath of God, of drinking the cup of the wrath of God 
it began the moment that Christ entered into Gethsemane. And this is the time God began to give the cup of his wrath to the Lord that he must drink. Not to make payment for sin, because he had already accomplished that from the foundation of the world, but he entered into the world a second time to make manifest what he had already done, and it was required of God that he truly suffer under his wrath a second time to show forth this demonstration. And it was a a very severe wrath. It brought eternal God himself to a place of exceeding sorrow and uh, unto death. And we can see how the Lord was uh, jolted, how he was experiencing uh, these terrible things spiritually. Of course, there was no literal cup. Uh, anyone looking at the Lord from afar would have only seen him. No thunderbolts from heaven. No sword of God coming down upon him. Just the Lord kneeling, praying. And and so uh, it was invisible judgment and therefore spiritual judgment, but real judgment upon uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, um, the Greek word Gethsemane is from the Old Testament. It comes from two Hebrew words. Uh, Geth, or Gath, is one. And Semen is the second word. Gethsemane. And Semen is Strong's number 8081 in the Hebrew. And it means oil, or olive, or fruitful. And Gat, or geth, as it's pronounced in the Greek, is Strong's number 1660, and it means press, wine press, wine fat. Putting it together, Gethsemane is the oil press, or the fruitful wine press. We, we have a combination of words that we could put together, because God uses all these different words for these two words. But it's the idea that the Lord Jesus, who again is the fruit, he's the fruit that Israel produced, that the early righteous reign produced, and and he came forth as a result. Then uh, there's the time of the rain, then there's the time of the famine, then there's a time of wine press, or the oil press, where Christ will be trodden, he will be crushed underfoot by the wrath of God, and the the idea of an oil press actually is fitting because um, the Holy Spirit is typified by oil. So as Christ is crushed and trodden under the wrath of God, the oil comes flowing forth, and and it would not be too long. Uh, Fifty days later would be the uh, time of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the oil that would go forth into the world. And the second outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the second Jubilee in 1994 uh, during 
The second part of the Great Tribulation is also a result of what Christ did when he experienced the wrath of God. Now, the the Hebrew word, Strong's number 1660, gat or geth, is found five times also, just as the Greek word for wine press, uh, lenos, was found five times. Well, the Hebrew word gat is found five times in the Old Testament. One place is in Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63, it says, beginning in verse 1, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I that speak in righteousness mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel? And thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat. Now here, wine fat is 1660. It's um, gat. And and then it says in verse 3, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments I will stain all my raiment, for the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. Now here, I think we have a dual picture, where first of all, Christ is the one who treads the winepress alone, and he is Melchizedek. He is um, the one who offered up himself after the the high priest, who, who had his own order, the order of Melchizedek. Uh, remember how he made appearance in the days of Abraham? And that's because Melchizedek existed. Melchizedek is Christ from the foundation of the world. And 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 he basically, uh, as the Lord submitted himself to the will of the Father in taking upon himself the sins of his people and dying for those sins, perform the ministry or the action of the high priest Melchizedek and Christ tread the winepress alone and he was the one trodden yet here it also speaks of I will tread them in mine anger and I think there's a future reference to the final judgment of mankind and and that's the day of vengeance that um, is spoken of in verse 4 judgment day God speaks of as a time of vengeance. And, and and so we see that the wine press has everything to do with the wrath of God. Christ experienced um, spiritually being crushed in the wine press or trodden underfoot by the Father in Gethsemane. Isaiah 63 makes reference to that. And in Lamentations chapter 1, we read in verse 15, The Lord hath trodden underfoot all my mighty men in the midst of me. He has called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord hath trodden the virgin, the daughter of Judah, as in a winepress. And that is Gat. That's the same Hebrew word, 1660. And here... God is, of course, historically referring to the judgment upon Judah. 
and the assembly he called against them um, was the Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, and and that historical judgment due to Judah's unfaithfulness pictures the the judgment that begins at the house of God at the beginning of the Great Tribulation at the time of the end of the world when the church age is over. And that began in May of 1988. But again, the wine press is in view and God is crushing the young men trotting underfoot the virgin, the daughter of Judah, as in a wine press, which means that God is likening the judgment of the church when judgment begins at the house of God to a time of placing them in the wine press and and being trodden underfoot. Again, the wrath of God is likened to the wine press and something else we're seeing is as Christ experienced being crushed by the wine press in Gethsemane, and it was a spiritual judgment, so too was the judgment on the churches of spiritual judgment and identified with a wine press here in Lamentations 1.15, which helps us to see that the final judgment of the world that we're reading about in Revelation 14, as the Lord is bringing up this figure, this type and figure of gathering the clusters of the the grapes uh, of the earth, the the vine of the earth, and casting it into a wine press and trotting it underfoot. Well, of course, all that's figurative language. It, it certainly isn't literal, but but more than that, it teaches as we examine how a wine press is used in the Bible in prior judgments of God upon the Lord and upon the church. Uh, the wine press is language that points to a spiritual judgment. And just uh, let's turn to one more place in Joel chapter 3. And again, we'll see how Joel is similar to Revelation 14. It says in Joel 3, in verse 13, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. The press, get. The, the wine press is full. The fats overflow, and their wickedness is great. God is picturing, placing billions of people in the day of judgment under um, his feet. And, and Christ is ruling with a rod of iron. But here the image is, it is as though God has cast them all into a wine press, just as the Lord Jesus was trodden underfoot in Gethsemane, just as the church was trodden underfoot by God. And remember the hand or foot in the Bible indicates the will. So too are all the unsaved people of the earth placed in a wine press to be trodden underfoot, crushed. And, and what comes out, um, in Revelation 14 while they're experiencing 
this wrath of God. It says in verse 20, And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Leviticus 17 tells us the life is in the blood. God is crushing the life out of them, which of course will kill them, yet the, their blood flows forth for a space of 1,600 furlongs, indicating, uh, there's a strong likelihood of this, that their death in the day of judgment, as they are experiencing this wrath of God, will uh, continue or it will last for a period of 1,600 days, if we're correct. Well, uh, Lord willing, when we get together in our next study, we're going to look at a couple of things in verse 20. Um, why is the winepress trodden without the city? And uh, uh, do we have biblical justification for relating a number, 1,600, that that speaks of furlongs to time? And uh, 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 that is... Can we understand 1,600 furlongs to represent 1,600 days? Well, we'll consider those things in our next study when we once again return to the Bible study in Revelation 14. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.